Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Jimmy. And we're the Talk to the Hand podcast. What have you got for us today, Jimmy? Well, seeing as you were so sneaky and secretive about the episode three oh, yeah. that you did on Monica Lewinsky, mm-hmm. I thought I'd take the same tact for episode four. So you don't know what this particular topic is about. And even when I tell you this story, there's a good chance you might not remember the, the person I'm talking about specifically, but you'll certainly remember the programme she was on and you'll certainly be aware of some of the circumstances that happened that have led to me talking about this story. Okay, let's rewind to the 90s. Changing Rooms was a home improvement show broadcast on the BBC between 1996 and 2004. A revamped version was brought back to Channel 4 in 2021. We're going to focus on one of the designers from the original show. The designers. Okay, so they're the ones that used to come in and basically say to the neighbours, oh, I'm going to do this to... Yeah. Oh, okay. So the idea of the programme, as you say, was for couples to swap houses with friends and neighbours, each decorating one room of the other's house. All in two days and with a £500 budget. Then at the end of the programme, there was a big finale where they showed what had been done to the room in their house. Now, I never watched the programme myself, but I do remember seeing clips of some of the participants being really unhappy with what had been done to their house. Do you remember that famous one with Llewellyn Bowen, The Red Room? You must have seen that and, uh, and The Woman Cries. I was actually yeah. going to come to oh, that. Sorry, yeah. Um, So one of the designers, as you said, was a flamboyant guy named Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen, who himself became a bit of a name in the 90s. The one you're talking about, I think this was the gruesome design of animal prints based on what the neighbours had told him. So the neighbours had said, this person really likes animal prints, um, so let's do the room in that design. It was actually a bit of a practical joke. The neighbour hated animal prints, so they'd done it as a bit of a joke. That the homeowner came back in the house she was seriously upset tearful she said it looked like a tart's boudoir and as i say the neighbor knew she'd hated animal, animal print so it was all a bit of a setup there was another episode where a room was being built to house a treasured and valuable collection of teapots overnight the shelves they had built collapsed and demolished the lot the owner lost more than six thousand pounds worth of teapots oh She did have them insured, but there were some that had, you know, huge sentimental value. Another one which stands out was one where they designed a room and put framed erotic clothing around the room. The woman came in at the end and was fuming. She said, why would I want this shit in my room? I've got children. And she burst into tears too. So there were obviously lots that went very, very well too, but, you know, they weren't as funny, so... The show was incredibly popular with over 600 people appearing on it through its original stint. It almost got 12 million viewers at its peak. Wow. It sounds like the whole format though was back of a fag packet stuff and it pretty much was. The guy who had come up with the cookery programme Ready Steady Cook? Yeah, yeah. Peter Bazalgit. And they'd asked him to do for interior designs what he'd done for cooking. He'd come up with an idea with producer Anne Booth Clibborn on the way to the meeting, they realised that the idea wasn't very good. So they were on their way to a meeting with yeah. the BBC to pitch their idea and yeah. they realised it wasn't actually good. And that idea was a programme they were going to call Four White Walls. They'd put contestants into blank rooms that they had to decorate and a judge would come in and determine who'd done the best job. Mm-hmm. It was bland and the two of them shared the realisation that it just wasn't going to work. And then on the way to the BBC, as they shared that, mm-hmm. their new idea hit them. 
They came up with the rough premise and suggested that they give each team a designer and a decorator, and boom, the idea was born. And the BBC loved it and commissioned the pilot episode. Now, they say they didn't do this programme to get the bad reactions, you know, the ones we talked about Mm. where people hated it. And when it first happened, they were actually quite worried, but then they realised that was what was actually going to go on and make the programme. Within two years, the programme shifted from BBC Two onto its big brother on BBC One. The cast became stars and they'd arrived to the locations with huge fanfare, mayors turning up to greet them. After 17 series, the viewers had become a little fatigued with the format and the show was cancelled. It was felt at the time that the viewers that remained were only interested in the very start and the very end of the show. It was, however, a trailblazer that triggered a raft of other home makeover shows. However, the show was hit by a massive scandal in 2000 when one of the designers was sentenced to one year in prison for scamming £54,000 out of her friends and colleagues, including those that had worked on the show. Wow. Oh my gosh. The lady in question who we're talking about today is Elizabeth Wagstaff, and she had told those around her that she was suffering from terminal cancer and needed to go to America for treatment. The money was apparently to go towards a plane ticket and specialist care at a research hospital in Seattle. However, that wasn't true. Wagstaff did not have cancer. She was only suffering from water retention and a minor thyroid problem. She lied. She said she told them all she had cancer. She went into some great detail about the terminal cancer that she had. And she needed to go to America. So obviously the money, needed money. Help me get the money to go to America to have this For treatment. Life-saving treatment. But instead, she spent the money on designer clothes to impress her boyfriend, who she said liked his women to dress well. No. So Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen was one of her victims, having donated £2,000 to her cause. Another member of the show, Anna Ryder mm. Richardson, had given £500. And former Blue Peter host Mark Curry had given her £1,000. And then her boyfriend, Mark Thurgood, who was the guy she said liked yeah, to dress well, yeah. he'd lost £12,000 to her. So she kept that lie up at home as well. It wasn't just to the cast members. Oh Producers Helen Levin Tomlinson and Amanda Isles gave her 1000 and 2500 respectively. The landscape gardener for the show, Peter Beach, gave her £6,000 and she even took £9,000 off a close friend. With his own father having died from leukaemia, Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen and his wife Helen made the gesture of making her godmother to their daughter, Hermione. A month after her sentencing, he'd said, we became a very tight-knit community and we were all very close. There were mutterings about her not being very well, but it wasn't something I really took on board. It wasn't until we worked together on another show called Change That that I noticed Liz looked quite unwell. She went through a phase in 1998 of looking really seedy, She spent a lot of time with my wife and messages would filter back to me about how ill she was. It was Jackie who told me Liz only had 12 months to live. Before that, I'd been loath to give her any money because I didn't want that to cloud our friendship. She would come round and ask us for money, but I talked to her about asking her family. When things became more critical and we thought she only had a year left, I decided we should give her as much as we could. He then added that he was shocked when they found out it was all lies. But um, as he looked back on the situation, he realised that all the information to do with her illness, in his words, were a bit vague. Mm. 
He said he felt extraordinary disappointment to have lost the friend and indeed godmother of his daughter, but said he won't be in contact with her again and certainly doesn't want his daughter having anything to do with her godmother. Liz was obviously quite in with the family, goddaughter, godmother, sorry, to his daughter, going round to the house, chatting to the wife on phone and everything, so you're obviously quite close with him. Yeah, absolutely. And it looks like there was no one to whom she wouldn't tell these lies. No, no. Um, well, her own boyfriend, she was covering it with her own boyfriend as well. Well, she owed him £12,000. Yeah. Linda Barker had become quite close with Wagstaff um, while working as fellow designers on the show, and it hit her particularly hard because she'd recently suffered her own cancer scare after finding a lump on her breast. She later said that every time she saw Liz, there was something else wrong with her. She remembers celebrating with her after Liz had received scan results showing a clear diagnosis for thyroid cancer. However, just weeks later, Wagstaff was saying she had terminal cancer and only had one year to live. To quote Linda, Liz always put a brave face and said she wanted to keep working until the end. And I remember thinking, good on you. We were all so proud of her as she seemed to be battling on. But all the time she was targeting us ruthlessly. She told me she couldn't have children because she knows how important my daughter is to me. She would tell people she hardly knew that she had cancer, but when we found out she was dying, we had made a wish list for her. We went to Battersea to get her a dog, and we held a picnic on the beach. And that picnic, uh, Beth, was actually the last time that the cast of the show were together. It was at Winchelsea Beach in East Sussex, and hundreds of pounds were spent on food and drink by the other cast. Yeah. And it was seen as very much a last treat from them for their dying friend. Linda said the mood was surprisingly upbeat at the picnic and Liz had told them that she wanted to have fun. So that's what they did. They always tried to do everything they could do to support her and said it was a great day and that they'd all had a lovely time. But Linda added, even though she was meant to be ill, Liz had not lost her appetite and still found the energy to play with her seven-year-old daughter, with Linda's seven-year-old yeah. daughter. Yeah. Again, they said they were very proud with how she was coping given that she'd only a few months left to live. And then one day she appeared at Linda's house in tears, saying she couldn't walk without a stick. Um, she was really into Georgian designs, so the team looked for a stick that she would like based on those Georgian designs. But Wagstaff went even further to ensure that her claims were believed. She allowed the cast to carry her bags for her, as she was too weak. And she was given assistant, which is something that no one else on the show had. Even, you know, bigger stars than her yeah, on the show yeah. didn't have an assistant. And the assistant would essentially take over when, when it all got too much for Wagstaff. She once wore a plaster on her neck and told her then-boyfriend that she'd had her thyroid gland removed. She also shared this with the TV producer and friend, Mia San Pietro. Mia was suspicious. Her parents had both died of cancer and something didn't ring true. For example, Wagstaff claimed that her breast cancer had spread to her bowel, which Mia knew was impossible. Mm, clever Mia. Did you know that? No, I wouldn't have guessed that as well, but obviously with the personal experiences that Mia mm. had with her mm, own parents, yeah. she obviously had a bit more knowledge on the situation. Yeah. Mia struggled with this information, um, but when the suspicions became too much for her to bear, mm. she called Wagstaff to say some people thought she wasn't telling the truth. Ah, she went along that line, as if she'd heard people and, and other believed it herself. Yeah. Perhaps she had heard other people say it, but she certainly shared those mm. suspicions. Wagstaff became angry, though, and that was the last time that Mia saw her. A week after that conversation, Wagstaff's boyfriend contacted the cast directly to tell them that she'd been lying. Like all the others, he too had been promised that she would pay back the money when a trust fund matured, and he had had enough of the lies. 
A couple of days later, Mia went to the police. Then upon questioning, Wagstaff confessed to everything. She admitted 14 counts of obtaining money transfer by deception and four of obtaining property by deception. The judge told her as she cried, the nature of your deceptions were particularly cruel and unpleasant. They were deceptions padded out with a great deal of sophistication. The victims were personal friends and acquaintances and you took advantage of that trust and that friendship. You obtained money from them by pretending you had cancer and required expensive treatment that you were unable to get in this country. There cannot be anyone in this court or anyone who has not had a friend or relative who truly does suffer from cancer or sadly has died from that disease. Therefore, your pretense causes revulsion, not only to your victims, but to people at large and the insult that it contains to those who are in genuine distress and grief. It was a deception that you carried out that triggered the decent humanity of your friends and acquaintances who were naturally anxious to do everything they could to help you in what they thought was a terrible situation. The judge said it was only right to ask why Wagstaff, a first offender who'd enjoyed a successful career as well as a substantial legitimate income, should commit these cruel offences. He said that he'd read three medical reports which spoke at length of relationship difficulties and various health problems, including anorexia and bulimia, but the judge said she'd not been afflicted by any disorder which would merit her being dealt with mm -hmm. under the Mental Health Act. In her statement, Wagstaff said, Everyone was convinced I was doing so well and successfully and being so brave about my operation. She needed their respect, she said, because she was so very depressed about her looks. She went on to get one year in prison, which she served in Bullwood Women's Prison in Essex. That is the story of Liz Wagstaff, uh, the designer on Changing Rooms, and it's a very interesting story. Now, I actually did a bit of further research mm. on Wagstaff to try and find out what she's up to now. Now, there's nothing super publicly available about it. I tried to go down the route of seeing where her career took her after she got released from prison. And she's actually working as a retail assistant not too far away from where we're living. Okay. Probably about 10 minutes away. Really? Absolutely. So that was oh, quite a surprise to yeah. see she's, she's so close to home. But it's a very interesting story. Now, Beth, your father passed away from leukemia, so that mm. must be very hard for you to hear. Yes, awful. Like, it is, it's, it's shocking. And it's like the judge told her at the time, to lie about something that you know happens to people, even if you don't know people it's happened to, you know it's a disease that can cause physical and mental pain to the individual and also their families. So to, to use that as an excuse to get sympathy and money is just, is despicable. And it's, it's despicable. It, any kind of scamming of your your friends yeah. and family is certainly not great. But the extent she went to to scam that money from them, it just beggars belief. And, and to keep that lie going for as long as she mm. did to end up with that amount of money. The only thing I don't, I don't get, so she, she's claimed she did that to get the money. So for her, that was the way to get the sympathy, to get people to lend her money. She'd obviously befriended Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen and had been asking for money for him before this mm -hmm. as well, which is very odd. But to say that, you know, oh, my boyfriend likes me to wear the designer clothes and stuff. Her boyfriend was one of the ones that was owed money from her. In so fact, he was owed the, the most amount. Most he was amount, owed £12,000, yeah. and I think there was a close friend who was owed 9000 and then yeah. there was the landscape gardener, 6000 yeah, 6, And all the other amounts were sort of between 500 and 2500 Yeah, I'm shocked. 
That was a sneaky secret one. I'd like, wow. Did you, had you heard of that story no, before? No, not at all. No, no. awareness. Because, I, I mean, and I did watch a few changing rooms. I remember, and it, and it is funny how it's the, the dodgy ones that you remember. The incident with Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen, I remembered it as this one that he'd painted really dark red walls because that was his thing, a very heavy room, and this woman hated Quite it. Gothic, Gothic, wasn't it? yeah, that's what it was, Gothic. And then another one where a whole wall fell down. Um, I mean, it's heartbreaking about all that expensive china that's broken. But anyway, the teapots. teapots, yeah. I had watched that program, and you saw, you see the designers coming in, but it's the presenters that you know more mm. about. Well, it's Carol Smiley, wasn't it? Carol Smiley, yeah, but you see. Linda Barker, I knew, and Ryder Richardson, and Llewellyn Burns. So I suppose those designers, I mean, I'm going to, I need to see a bit of now, Google it and see if I remember her, but shocking, just shocking. I mean, if I read about that story in the local paper, I would be shocked to also hear about it from someone who, someone was, who was doing so on, well. Yeah, doing so well on a popular programme. Just why? And she got one year. Is that normal for that sort of fine? I guess there were some mitigating factors. And although the judge felt that there wasn't Mental, enough in yeah, the medical reports health. to mm. go down the Mental Health Act route, yes, there clearly was other issues. There clearly were other issues involved. Um, you can't be right if that's the way that you're, you're behaving. Mm. And I do wonder, one thing as I was looking up the story and doing the research, I wonder if this was something that she said to one person once to get a certain amount of money mm. and maybe that person told someone else or she thought wow that was so easy they actually gave me the yeah, money that yeah. time I'll use yeah. that again, again and it grew to something that she couldn't then pull no. back from because mm. when the police did first go to her to interview her she confessed immediately there was no pretense she didn't try mm. and you know say it wasn't true that she hadn't no. done it so I do wonder whether this was one of those things that started very very small and then grew into something that she lost control of to an extent. Yeah. Maybe it was an attention thing as well. Maybe mm. it didn't necessarily start with money. Maybe she was get she'd mentioned it, mm. and then she was getting attention for it, like the big picnic, like they were hoping to get in a walking mm. stick. But also something like that. That sort of lie exhausting to keep mm. up. Being a close friend of the Linda Barker with her daughter, I feel sorry for her. I do. Wow. I think I think what she did was terrible. Mm. I'm sure she regrets it now. I mean, mm. she's mm. gone from a high-profile television role to working yeah. as a, a retail assistant in a mm. very, very small uh, establishment. Yeah. I do have sympathy for her. I think if she had her time again, I don't think she, she, she'd have repeated it. No. Um, but at the end of the day, she, she, that would have left a scar on those people that she did yeah. Yeah, that, take that, money from. Totally, sort of. Their trust issues exactly with people, right. you know, completely. They, she's yeah, and, and, and choosing someone to be. We know from from our own lives that choosing someone to be a godparent to your child is a big deal. Mm. We put a lot mm. of thought into that because yeah, you want do. somebody who they're going to be able to look up to, and yeah. while they might not see them every day, it's someone they know is is kind of there for them, trustworthy, trustworthy. someone they can yep. rely on. And mm. um, so that would have been quite a big mm. blow for Lawrence Llewellyn mm. Bowen and his wife as well. Yeah. So that was the story of Liz Wagstaff of, of Changing Rooms fame. Um, I hope you enjoyed the episode today. Thank you very much for tuning in to us. Please make sure you have pressed the subscribe button. And if you haven't followed us on Twitter, 
please get on there and, and make sure you do so. That's at Talk to the Hand Pod with the with the two, the number two, not T O. And so get on there, and you'll see that we every day we're sharing nostalgic memories from the 90s um, and we'll post a picture of Liz Wagstaff on there so you can take a look at the person we're talking about and see if you can remember her from the show. That's all from us this week. Thank you very much for joining us. So until next week, talk talk to to the the hands. hands.